0: we are glad to have back now. Last time I talked to him was right before the election, and now it is post. Scott and Paul is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. and The AAM is a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steel Workers Union. For years now, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and our national leaders, and have done it through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have Scott Paul uh, with us. Scott, uh, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us and welcome back
1: hey leslie great to be on
0: well um you guys are a nonpartisan organization but one of the things that you really want regardless of who wins and the winner in this case was donald trump um is that you know this is a a guy that won very heavily with uh blue collar workers uh, which are predominantly not all but white male and uh you know they really feel that uh, they, they they've been you know Screwed, whether it's uh, money in their paychecks or reductions in their pensions or jobs shipped uh, overseas. And obviously, a huge uh, area that uh, cares about this is something that you talk about and that you like to discuss, which is manufacturing. Under a Trump presidency who promises to bring manufacturing jobs back to the United States— Uh, What can we expect from him? And first, I just want to start it out, Scott. You know that I was, you know, and am uh, still a Hillary supporter, even though uh, my candidate lost. Um, One of the things that always bothered me, and you and I touched upon this, is that Donald Trump himself was guilty of these jobs being uh, sent overseas. So how does somebody who, you know, did that before turn around and as president bring those jobs back?
1: I am probably not alone in saying that uh, the unpredictability of a, trump administration is off the scales uh and so far i have inaccurately predicted every step of this election so uh, so so is everybody else scott so you're not alone alone. this is true but but the one thing and, and you're right we have talked about this that the the issues of working class people and manufacturing consistently get Underestimated by the by the political party apparatus and by by most in the media. You give voice to them, uh, but otherwise, you know, it's it's easy to get inside the bubble and think like, well, uh, that stuff doesn't matter, or certainly. As you indicated, like voters will see through Trump's hypocrisy, um, you, you know, understanding, and we talked about this too, that, that, that Hillary Clinton had, you know, a mixed record on trade policy, one that she tried to, to polish up, uh, but, but it was mixed, um, and fairly or unfairly was probably linked a lot to some things that Bill Clinton did. Uh, on on trade um, and I'm not going to participate in that kind of circular firing squad that uh, a, lo- a lot of Democrats are doing right now and it's it's you know I think historians can sort out what what actually happened uh, but the, the one thing that I know that was painfully clear is that the voices of these people, and, and you're right, Leslie, they, they mostly are white, they mostly are male, but not exclusively, uh, who had worked in factories, uh, you know, and, and five and a half million of them have been laid off. Most of those jobs have been offshored uh, over the last uh, 16 years ago. Um, they they, uh, they brought a a power to the polls uh, that uh, Hillary Clinton could not match, and it was um and and I would say I underestimated its impact, but right. when. You know the 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 results from Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan started to roll in. Yeah, then it then it kind of comes together, and everybody who forgot that Bernie Sanders did so well in those northern uh, industrial states in the primary, you know, quickly remembered what 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 some of the uh, what some of the appeal was, and it was that economic populism.
0: Now that he's won office, we have to look at, well, where's this agenda going to take him? I, like you, I was blindsided, uh, not only personally uh, but professionally. Um, But we do – I mean we are stuck with this at least for four years, and obviously um, I don't want any president to fail. As much as I have disdain for this uh, person that has shown a character that I'm not – Um, You know, happy with. So let's talk about his first 100 days. Uh, He has some very ambitious ideas, Uh, one of which I know that you like, something the Obama administration declined to do for years, uh, was that Trump uh, plans to make good on his plan to name the Chinese government a currency manipulator. Explain to folks what does that do other than is it symbolic or um, does it have more weight than that that call that shout out?
1: Yeah, Leslie, that's a good question, and I imagine it would need to be more than symbolic for Trump to deliver on what a lot of people are expecting. Um, the you know, first of all, does China manipulate its currency? That is, does it keep it at a lower value intentionally to try to get more exports in the United States because it's effectively a it, 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 it's effectively a tax cut for those exports and to block our imports because that currency devaluation makes our goods more expensive going into china Uh, you know and there's no question the beijing government still intervenes but but the situation is probably a little more complex than it was three or four years ago still there's no question that, that china games the rules now trump um certainly can name china as a currency manipulator uh, there's a broad range of actions that could take place after that. Uh, China could be banned from the U.S. procurement market. That means that our tax dollars couldn't go to buy Chinese goods for most things, that we'd be buying, you know, American steel and other things like that. We've talked about Buy America before. Uh, we could deny some, some types of, of foreign assistance that could theoretically go to China, although Not a lot does. Uh, we could, uh, we could impose some, some targeted tariffs, uh, as well. Or Trump could potentially say, you know what? The, the currency right now, because of all the capital outflows we're seeing from China, may make some sense. But in the future, if you devalue, you should know right away that it's going to trigger sanctions uh, and just be on the guard. And he could, he could use it as some sort of a, uh, some sort of a deterrent. Um, so there are a few tool, tools that, uh, uh, that Trump could use. And you're right, this is something that you know, someone like Chuck Schumer or well, I was going to you read
0: my mind. I was going to ask you that because this is an area. I mean, Chuck Schumer is a uh, you know, leader of the Senate Democrats and he's pursued action on currency for a long time. Is this an area where you might see bipartisan support or, you know, uh, an olive branch across the aisle, at least on this issue between Trump and a Democrat?
1: Yeah, that's right. Support and opposition, and, and it, this goes to a lot of the broader issues that I'm sure we're going to have a conversation about, which is, you know, for years, who's blo- who's blocked the progress on it has actually been Republicans in Congress. But if there are some issues that, that Democrats in Congress and Trump can agree on, look, I'm with Bernie Sanders, I'm with Elizabeth Warren, who say, you know, if he wants to rebuild America, if he wants to reform trade policy, I'm going to work hard to make that happen. Um, and I, I think that that is... Uh, that that's the right approach to have and, and not the Mitch McConnell approach to Barack Obama, which is my goal is to oppose everything that he supports.
0: Uh, agreed. A hundred percent. TPP. What's going to happen with TPP? I mean, people feel that it's defeated. And I'm, I'm you know confused. I mean, Trump says he doesn't like TPP. There are Republicans who do like it. The president likes it. I think a lot of people are confused. But we know TPP weighed heavily in on this uh, election year and people's choices.
1: It did. And I would say RIPTPP. I think it is. um, I think it's done for the foreseeable future. Um, You know, the Obama administration has kind of officially thrown in the towel on trying to get it done uh, in this term of Congress. Uh, You know, Trump, uh, you know one of the one of his promises was to withdraw from the TPP if it in fact had been ratified um, uh, there may be conversations down the road about how it could be renegotiated uh, to make it um, friendlier but That would, I think that's a difficult thing to do um, with all 12 of the TPP countries uh, and some of the issues that it would uh, entail. It's probably, honestly, easier to negotiate or to renegotiate some of NAFTA uh, than it would be uh, the Trans Pacific Partnership uh, at this point. So I. there may be some who want to try to bring it back, uh, and make some adjustments, but this is one, uh, where I think, uh, we're gonna walk away from it. Um, you know, I would say, Leslie, that, you know, there was a lot of fear mongering about what happens if the TPP goes down in flames, um, and it was, you know, the markets, from what I could tell, did okay today. Um, there was no uh, gnashing of the teeth. Um, there have been big trade initiatives that haven't crossed the finish line before. Uh, George uh, uh, George W. Bush uh, wanted to negotiate a free t- trade area of the Americas. That was the entire Western Hemisphere. Right. Uh, that got shelved. Uh, you know, so this, this happens from time to time, and it may have been too ambitious.
0: We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with our guest. And if you want to call us, we want to hear from you. 8886 leslie eight 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 We're asking you, what does a Trump presidency mean for manufacturing? Do you believe he'll bring those jobs back? He could have brought his own back, but, you know, what's he going to do in the future? And are you glad that it would seem TPP is, as Scott said, RIP? Pick up the phone and join us, whether you voted for or against Donald Trump. If you stayed home, not sure we can chat with you. I'm <laughs> bitter. Anyway, pick up the phone and join us. 888-6-LESLIE-888-653-7543. Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing is our guest. Follow him on Twitter, at scott paul aam. Check out the website during the break, AmericanManufacturing.org. Don't go away. Scott and Paul. And uh, we are talking about what the president-elect Donald Trump might uh, do with regard to manufacturing. He's promised to bring back jobs, and he certainly demonized uh, some uh, people and some nations. China is one of them when he was running before he was elected. Scott, thanks for holding. Welcome back. Um, In the New York Times, they talk about uh, China and uh, Donald Trump, and they said that in a China-U.S. trade war, Trump would have weapons. First of all, do you agree with that? And second, what did they mean by that? What type of weapons, if you will, does Trump have, at least with a trade war, with China?
1: Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, the, the whole trade war notion, I think, gets blown out of proportion uh, quite a bit I mean it sounds very fatalistic uh, the reality is that there are d- trade disputes that are settled nearly every day um, and and some of them involve tariffs uh, the Obama administration has put tariffs of up to 500 percent on some types of Chinese steel because it was being unfairly uh, dumped uh, into the United States market so this is this is nothing new I mean this continues it's getting a higher profile uh, with Trump, but if Trump has broader goals uh, in terms of bringing down the trade deficit with China, uh, or getting it, getting more specifically at some of those uh, trade practices, uh, there are a couple of things that he can do. Uh, we talked about uh, currency manipulation. Uh, that's number one. Number two, um, the the Trump administration could bring some trade cases against. China, uh, both using our own domestic trade laws and having them work through our system here, uh, and also at the World Trade Organization, uh, to which China and the United States are both members uh, in Geneva. And again, the Obama administration has brought a few cases against China. Trump potentially could bring more or bigger cases against China. Um, another activity that Trump could do, uh, is to, uh, use other uh, presidential powers um, uh, that, that the president has, uh, based on some types, some portions of the uh, uh, of, of, of trade law that are seldom used right now, and, and that are more used in what we call intellectual property disputes. And I'm sorry to get in the weeds here, but but he has some uh, he has some levers that he's able to pull that have that have not been pulled yet. He could also enter into a high level. Negotiation, and I would say that this is something Ronald Reagan did with Japan uh, in the 1980s, and said to Japan, "Look, you're, I'm not. I'm going to block your automobiles uh, unless you start making some of your products in the United States." Um, and uh, he put tariffs on Japanese motorcycles. Uh, he put tariffs on uh, semiconductors. Uh, negotiated a currency agreement with Japan um, and and with uh, and with Western Europe as well. And so he could engage uh, at a direct level uh, on this. And the last thing, and this is where I think the trade war rhetoric gets tricky, is that people look at the leverage. They're like, oh no, we're going to lose these exports to China. Well, there are two facts that everybody should know. First of all, China is far more dependent on getting products into our market um, for its own livelihood uh, than we are into China. There's a couple of industries that that benefit from exports to China. Uh, Soybeans are one. uh, uh, Aerospace uh, is another. uh, But by and large, our economy generally is not terribly affected by our ability to export to China. Uh, on, on the other hand, you know, again, China's is China sends about a third of its exports to the United States, um, and we have a, a a lucrative consumer market, something that China not going to be able to find anywhere else. So, so we have a bit of leverage um, if, uh, if if the president uh, chooses to to use it. I, I would just finally and very quickly say that. I would anticipate that, again, guys like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, who have long been apologists for status quo trade policy, don't seem to mind imports from China. You know, they're going to they're going to be pushing back uh, on some of this. How aggressively? I do not know. Uh, But that's something that could spark spark some internal struggle within the Republican Party as well.
0: Uh, Thank you, Scott. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, you uh, you know, like Scott says, you know, trade war. You know, it sounds big. But what does that mean to you and me? How does that trickle down to you and I? And we're going to talk about that, what that means, uh, because some of you might say, well, you know, what affects me is, you know, my bottom line and, you know, me as a consumer. And certainly those are the people's voices that we heard speak. And those are the people that voted largely for Donald Trump as president. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM, right after this. Don't go away. We are back. So is he. And we'd love to hear from you. We only have uh, half of the hour left. It goes by uh, fast when you're learning a lot and liking Uh, What you hear, um, I always do, when I have Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM, uh, joining us. Scott, thanks for holding. Welcome back. You said, and I love that you said, you know, because it's true, when you hear trade war, it's like, oh, my God, and you want the Hollywood music to cue and, you know, nasty sound effects. Um, But like you said, you know, trade wars and trade deals happen, you know, pretty much every day. Um, What does it mean? To the American people, if Donald Trump on his first day, first week, first 100 calls out China uh, with regard to their currency manipulation and were to place taxes on some of uh, these items or tariffs, if you will, on some of these items. Um, and, And I say that because obviously when we look to that blue collar worker, the middle class, the working class in this country who came out en masse to vote and to vote for Donald Trump. What does that do for them and for the rest of us? Does it mean they have to pay more when they buy stuff if there's not an American made in America alternative? Um, What does this mean to us? How does it trickle down to the consumer and to the American voter?
1: Yeah, Leslie, that is a really, really good question, and you know, you can you can game these scenarios to to try to figure out what would happen. And the, the truth is, you know, in, until we get to that point, it's you know, we're we're not going to have a, a certainty about what what the outcome will be. But but here is you know he, 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 here's kind of the range of possible um, uh, of, of possible scenarios here. One is that. Yet that Trump, you know, does some targeted. Tariffs. China. China's leaders know they have massive global over. They have massive overcapacity in their industry, in steel, and aluminum, and semiconductors, and this. There have been reformers inside of China who have been trying trying to move their economy to more of a services and consumer orientation and to open it up. And, and they've been. They themselves have been stifled by special interests. So interestingly, you know, you know, China may well stomach some of this, uh, try to do a couple of minor retaliatory things that might have a big political impact, say, in a particular state or in a particular members of Congress district. But I don't think that you would see an economy-wide impact. And even if it did ratchet up a little bit, again, the United States is a largely open market. We get imports not only from China, uh, but from a lot of other countries and competitors around the world. And so, if, uh, if you know, if China does decide to take this up a bit, uh, you know, what could it mean for smartphones? It could mean that there is a period where you know it, it gets somewhat more expensive to buy a smartphone uh, until the suppliers figure out another way to do final assembly uh, and uh, and and to keep down their costs. Um, uh, and so that's, you know, that's the type of impact that you'd probably see more than anything else. And, and the last thing, and, and I think you know this, is that, you know, American consumers are very price-sensitive, and retailers know that. And retailers may well take lower margins in order to keep the sales going uh, and, and so it may have some impact on the profits of the retail sector uh, and may not ultimately hit the consumer uh, all that much. There, there is really no way to know but I, I do think that there are ve- there will be uh, a lot of attention uh, paid to kind of the chess pieces and the dynamics here uh, so, so that it doesn't uh, get out of hand. Uh, that that seems like a, an incredibly unlikely scenario to me uh, although again uh, you know we're entering a uh, kind of a, uh, a new period uh, unprecedented of uh, political volatility that I don't know that any of us uh, have experienced before
0: um, I also uh, want to ask you and go back to TPP and you know we're going to talk up sure God for the next four years Scott probably not about TPP but about China um, uh, let's talk about TPP. Um, President-elect Donald Trump plans to move quickly. Uh, One of the things he wanted to do is uh, deride what he calls a job-killing trade policy. Now, that's an area where you and me and Donald Trump and, you know, left and right can agree, maybe not 100%. Um, He said that within the first 100 days, his administration is going to drop out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He also talks about withdrawing from NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. Now, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. This was one thing I was against uh, Bill Clinton not doing but signing. And we say that because it was the administration prior to him uh, that put this motion in play. Um, Can you talk to us a little comparison and and contrast between the two? And I ask because I heard an interview the other day on NPR and – The individual that was talking was sort of like a a NAFTA specialist. They weren't for it or against it. But they basically said that we benefit financially from NAFTA now. Like at the, the beginning, that wasn't the case. And that even... If we shut down NAFTA, there's not going to be this sucking sound of jobs coming out of Mexico, if you will, back into the United States. So first, would you agree with that, um, that if um, we withdraw from the North American Free Trade Agreement, it's perhaps not going to be as wonderful as some people uh, think and maybe don't know what's happening now, how we as a country financially benefit uh, from that? Um, and, And two, a big difference between these two, if you find any.
1: Yeah, Leslie, that's a that's a great question. And so, so let's let's talk about NAFTA for a second, uh, which with Mexico and Canada, which has been in force since the beginning of nineteen ninety four, um, and was really the largest, biggest, uh, you know, trade deal, uh, and you know, with with a with a country that didn't have a level of development similar to the United States. That's Mexico, where wages were much lower. So there is no question that NAFTA has caused some pain for manufacturing in particular. Like, I'm from northern Indiana auto parts plants all over northern Indiana closed up, uh, and the, the imports came in from, from Mexico. So the, so there there is no question that it's had an impact like that. But then you pull back the lens a little bit, uh, and you look at the North American auto industry, and I think it's safe to say that uh, having that economic integration between Canada, Mexico, and the United States has actually helped keep – some auto manufacturing in the region. It might not all be in the United States, but in the region, which probably means a few more jobs than having all our cars come from Japan or come from China. Or Korea, uh, or come from Europe, um, and so, uh, it, it, and same goes with uh, with the electronics um, as well, uh, where there's uh, an integrated supply chain between Mexico uh, and the United States. Now, now the governments of Mexico and Canada have both said that they are willing to talk about renegotiating provisions. Of course, Leslie, they're going to want some concessions as well. It's not, all we, it's not all going to be a one-way give to the United States here. And so we will see uh, what sorts of things that Canada uh, and Mexico uh, would, would, would want to ask for. Um, but there are certain uh, renegotiating strategies that I would support, for instance, hiking up what's called the rules of origin. That is, that if you want free trade treatment in our market, uh, the product has to be virtually all made in Mexico, Canada, the United States, rather than having a big portion of it come from China for instance. Uh, So that's, you know, that is one of the differences, uh, I I think, between NAFTA and the TPP is that, you know, we've also had 20 years of this economic integration. So a lot of it is baked in. And you're right, it would not be easy uh, to undo uh, overnight. But I think that there are some adjustments, some additional worker protections that could be provided that would put upward pressure on wages in Mexico uh, that could also potentially be beneficial.
0: Um, I want to uh, also talk about John, this just uh, you know, so much. Um, you know, there are bad trade deals and there are good trade deals, right? Or no? Is there no trade deal that is good? And if there is one, what, what's an example of that or what would that look like for the future? Yeah, that,
1: that is a great question. And, and there really is such a thing, uh, as a trade deal that can be mutually beneficial. And, and the, the theory of that beneficiality, you know, kind of Adam Smith's trade paradigm from the 1770s it actually can work in the right circumstances but the problem is that if you give workers fewer rights than corporations it skews it uh if governments uh intervene uh in in their economies and and prop up their businesses uh it skews that uh but i remember when i was on capitol hill working to get a free trade agreement with the country of jordan passed and of course it's not perfect. Uh, but it was a huge accomplishment at, at the at the same time, and it it had overwhelming support. Uh, the United States has a free trade agreement with Australia. We've seen our manufacturing exports go up to to Australia. Uh, and it's I mean that that's actually an agreement that Hollywood had some challenges with the the you know the the screen actors and the producers directly because of some some market access issues in Australia. So it was different than manufacturing at the time, but there there are some examples where this this idea of free trade can work uh, with. Canada, for instance. I think that, you know, while there are challenges, uh, it's uh, in some ways it has certainly been mutually beneficial. So you know, let's not throw the, out the idea of trade. Let's not throw out the idea of trade agreements. But it's the rules that matter. Do workers have the same set of rules as corporations, the same type of opportunity? Um, are we really going to use these trade agreements to try to Uh, have broadly shared prosperity instead of uh, higher shareholder prices. And that's largely been the outcome of the trade agreements, is that we've seen widening inequality. And, yeah, trade has generated a lot of income, a lot of income, Uh, but, but it's largely been held by the shareholders of corporations and not by workers.
0: We're going to take a break. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM, right after this. One more segment with him. If you have comments about TPP or questions, about NAFTA, about questions, about trade, uh, questions or comments, and about China, questions or comments. And will Donald Trump bring manufacturings back to America? How is he planning on doing that? We're going to talk more with Scott Paul, but we'll also talk with you. eight 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 six Leslie eight 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 six five three seven five four three 888 653 right after this. Don't go away. We are back with Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Um, Wow. Uh, So many things to talk about. China and trade, China and currency manipulation, and uh, TPP. Um, I think this election showed, Scott, that trade matters. And you've been saying that for years, screaming it from the mountaintops. Why do you think all of a sudden this year trade has always mattered, but trade really mattered to the voters?
1: Uh, yeah, there will be a lot of diagnoses as to why, you know, either you know, Hillary Clinton didn't get the vote out or Trump did. Uh, but I think that it is indisputable that the trade and the manufacturing message that he had worked um, with, a, with a lot of people, maybe not with everybody. Uh, and, and you pointed out and I pointed out the, the offshoring hypocrisy, but clearly uh, what he was saying um, worked. And the and it's also evident, Leslie, by the places he was going and the frequency uh, that he was using the trade piece. And and it doesn't get it covered nearly as much as as some of the more incendiary things that would come up. But but almost every Trump speech that I ever heard started at the opening uh, with a critique of our trade policy, uh, with praise for manufacturing, um, and with a call. Uh, to to rip things up um and and he finished huff the campaign in these industrial states uh in uh you know in Michigan uh and in and, and in Wisconsin um, and and that clearly uh, you know is where this message uh, is gonna uh, is, is going have the most power um, you know exit polls show that uh, Trump voters obviously overwhelmingly agreed with him uh, on the trade message and Leslie you have you and I have been talking for a while now and and you know that we've We've been doing polling uh, for the last six or seven years, and it's consistently shown uh, that there's a power to these issues, that it, it's an issue that uh, voters want their candidates to talk about more. Uh, and so they got they got a Republican candidate who talked about it uh, at every sp- uh, stump speech, uh, and obviously uh, that, along with a lot of other factors, uh, made him uh, a compelling choice for people who voted for him.
0: I want to talk about Trump and jobs. I mean, it is the economy, stupid, and maybe Democrats, Hillary Clinton, uh, didn't um, you know, heed the advice even of her uh, husband, former President Bill Clinton, who said that the Democrats have to look out for the disenfranchised white uh, workers uh, who are a big voting base. And that was proven on this um, November 8th, this past November 8th. Um, Trump has promised to bring jobs back to America. Trump has promised to save jobs, to create jobs. American public's counting on it. That's what we saw in those votes. Even though Hillary's winning the popular vote by, it, they're saying now it could be three million. Uh, but let's talk about the next president because the electoral college, vo- uh, you know, elected him. By the way, did you see that Donald Trump said he he believes more than like a popular vote, but he also thinks he would have won with a popular vote. Perhaps can Scott can Trump save their jobs, America's jobs? Because that's what they're counting on. That's why they voted for him.
1: Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's tough and th- this was one of the challenges I had with his, with his message on this in particular is that it brought back this sense of 1950s nostalgia, which, you know, where half of our economy, half of our employment was in manufacturing. We had literally no global competition whatsoever. We had a growing market. We could set the terms. And uh, there, there wasn't nearly as much automation or pro- productivity as we have today. And so, no, you're, we're not going to bring back steel mills with 20,000 people in them uh, there's there's not going to be that that kind of revival uh, but if there are common sense policies that, that you know that I know a lot of Democrats support as well that are putting into place uh, we, we can do better we, we can we can stabilize uh, we can we can grow our share um, and it's not going to mean a 1950s kind of manufacturing in the United States uh, but we can certainly hold our own and do better uh, in the 21st century. And we can do it in a variety of of industries from those autonomous vehicles uh, to nanotechnology uh, and to things that we've always done well, like make cars, make airplanes, provide the materials like steel for all of that and other sorts of complex machinery. And here's something that I agree with Donald Trump on. I'd love to see an iPhone. Made the United States. I think that they, I think that they could do it um, if, uh, if, if if Apple had enough incentive to do it. Um, and so, you know, that that would be my long shot. Uh, I'd love to see a supply chain like that reestablished in the United States, and and I think it would be possible. But pretending like we're going to be bringing you know tens of millions of manufacturing jobs back—that's uh, that's that's both wishful thinking uh, and that's going to violate the trust of the voters. I think.
0: The Wall Street Journal had a piece that said trade, not immigrants, may have been key motivator of Donald Trump's voters. Do you agree with that? I, I think
1: that's absolutely right, and there are certainly voters that were uh, that were motivated by uh, the immigration issues. There no doubt were voters that were uh, motivated by worse than that, uh, by by some of the the the, the horrible things uh, that he said. Um, but there's also no question. That there was a appeal to his message on the economy, on manufacturing, on trade in particular, and this was really the first election where that hypothesis could be tested, where you had a candidate who one of his top three messages uh, uh, was what was this this trade and manufacturing message, and um, and so at least in this kind of test tube of an election, uh, it did very well. It did a lot better than anybody thought uh, it might. Uh, and so if there's anything that can be gleaned from this, it's that Democrats, Republicans uh, should not shy away from trade policy, should not shy away from manufacturing. Uh, and that not only does it make good economic sense, but it's also good politics. Um, and uh, it, it's clear that some voters rewarded donald trump for that despite the fact that he offshored a lot uh, despite everything else that went with it um and there was just a lot more pain out there in the industrial heartland uh than i think a lot of people imagined uh and and boy did it show up on election day
0: um last uh piece um in less than 60 seconds there are people fearful that Donald Trump's going to be the next Hitler or Mussolini, and then there are people that say, well, what if he isn't? Because we have seen people like Harry Truman be very different as president than they were as a campaigner for president. Last thoughts.
1: Yeah, that that's – you're going to have me stumped. There, um, ah. I, I think that I think that it's un, I think that it's unpredictable, and I think anybody who pretends that they know what's going to happen six months from now in a Trump Trump presidency um, is you know is, is guessing. Uh, they they don't know, uh, but I hope, as President Obama said, that the office helps to settle you. Um, yeah. uh, I hope that's the case. Personalities—it tends, it tends to uh, amplify. I hope not
0: just settled, trouble. but humble. Uh, you know, that would be humble. nice. Uh, sure. Scott, uh, love having you on, buddy. Thank you. Follow Scott on Twitter at scott paul a a m. The website is AmericanManufacturing.org.